0: And so I get, get into my room and it was like, I don't want to say it was a flea bag Hotel, but it was close. It was a big chain. It was a national chain. But when I walked in, it was one of these, I don't know if anyone else has ever had this, but I was afraid to sleep in the bed. So I grabbed like the towel from the bath and laid it over the bed just in case, you know? So at that point I was like, okay, there's a minimum standard, right? I'm going to spend some money. That's just the way it is, but I'm not going to do this again. I'm Brian Milner, and this is the Agile Mentors Podcast, a show about both the personal and organizational journey towards agility. My friends and I will be sharing with you what we've collectively learned from seeing thousands of companies' Agile implementations, the perils and pitfalls, as well as the secrets to success. We'll share our personal in-the-trenches experiences so that you can apply what we've learned in a practical way in your careers. We also hope to hear and learn from you as well. If you're like us and are always in search of better ways of working together, you're in the right place. Join us, mentor, and be mentored. Let's get started. Welcome in, Agile Mentors. We're back for another episode of the Agile Mentors podcast I'm with you as always, Brian Milner, and today I'm having back a good friend of mine, Miss Lucy O'Keefe is with us. Welcome back in, Lucy. Thank you so
1: much, Brian. So happy to be here again.
0: Lucy is actually had a change happen since the last time she was with us (laughs) that we're very happy about. Uh, Lucy has achieved her Certified Scrum Trainer certification. So she is now able to train classes and uh, certify people and everything else. So just officially here from from the show and from all of us, just a, a big, huge congratulations. I know it's a huge milestone.
1: Thank you so much, Brian. Yeah, I'm really excited about being able to do all the things that Certified Scrum Trainers do and, and share with you you know, the journey that I've had and you had as well today and, and, and letting people understand what this is all about.
0: Yeah, that's what we're gonna be. We thought we'd talk about this a little bit because I get a lot of questions around what it's like to become a Certified Scrum Trainer, and people want to know if, if that's something they might want to do or not want to do. So we, we thought maybe we'd have a, a conversation just because Lucy has just come through. And it hasn't been that many years since I went through the same process, but it was prior to COVID. So it's going to be interesting for us to compare notes a little bit because I, as uh, we were talking about before we, we started, it was a very different animal. It's a very different animal now that we do virtual trainings. Yeah, definitely. So just to prepare everyone, I want to make sure I'm kind of laying out uh, what we what we intend to do here. It is not going to be a step-by-step. It is not going to be a, a walkthrough of here's all the requirements. We're deliberately staying away from that because we feel like the Scrum Alliance does a really great job of that on the website. There's a lot of other material out there that will do that. We'll walk you through and talk about every single piece that you need to submit uh, to become a certified Scrum Trainer, we thought what we'd talk more about is just our process and what it was like for us going through this. So let's start at the beginning. Let's compare notes a little bit about <laughs> wh- when did when was the moment for you when you thought you know what I think I'm gonna gonna do this I'm gonna go after this Was there something that triggered it or was it just sort of a slow realization?
1: It's definitely a passion that grew through throughout the many you know, years uh, since, since I finally realized that this is what I wanted to do. But it's something that I was in a class. It was 2017. So it's been a while. I was mentored by Anus Mali, which some some of your listeners may may know because you also had her on, on the podcast before. I went to get my CSPO with her and this was 2017. I had loved her when I went to Orlando uh, for the Global Scrum Gathering and she was wearing her astronaut <laughs> suit and stuff, because she was one of the one of the people who were you know, in, in charge pretty much of that, that scrum gathering. And I loved her then I was like, Okay, I want to take a class with her. So I took my CSPO with her. And when I saw the way that she was teaching and how she was making me feel as a student in that class, I was like, Oh, my God, I, I really want to do this. Of course, I had been doing trainings in my companies, little trainings, you know, to teach everybody else about Scrum, and agile, and I really love doing it. But it wasn't until I sat in that class with her and I saw how she was influencing, you know, so many people and impacting so many of us that I was like, "Wow, this is really something that's really special." And I hope to be able to do this someday. After this class, that class, I asked her if she would mentor me on that journey.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. In my my case, I was uh, an agile coach f- full time at an organization, and I don't really remember the moment that like the idea entered my head. I just remembered. You know, I had gotten my certifications that were were earlier than this, you know, that you have to build up to doing this. And that was kind of the next layer was, was I going to kind of go the coaching route or go the trainer route? And I remember just kind of reaching this threshold, having a conversation with my wife about it and saying, I think this is kind of where I should go. Like it feels like the right thing to do. And it's not like I am locked into any decision if I start to pursue it and realize it's not the right thing. So I remember us talking about it and just making this decision saying, all right, we're going to move in this direction. I'm going to go in this direction. And if I feel like the door shuts at some point and it just feels like, hey, this is not for you. All right, then I'll then I'll maybe walk away. But that that never happened for me from that moment on. It was just sort of like, yeah, this is right. This is the right thing to do
1: and we're
0: all glad you're a CSG fan. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, well, it was long, right? I mean, I, I know for you as yeah. well, it was a long uh, journey. And, and I will say for my part, I was told that I was fast, that it actually went through really fast for me, but it felt like it was a long time. Just to set everyone's standards here, my, I think mine was like three and a half, four years, something in that range. What was yours from like the moment you said, I want to do this? Six years. Six years, okay. Six years, so, yeah. yeah, and
1: and... Yeah, I mean, it is, and it is a long journey. And, and for everybody who's listening, you know, to understand, I had just my just gotten my certified scrum master and certified scrum product owner at that time, right? In order for you to even be able to start thinking about becoming a certified scrum trainer, you have to have your professional, right? Your CSB. I wasn't anywhere close to getting that yet. So I had to wait, although I was already co-training, you know, I co-trained with a new very early on and I was horrible at it. But that's why it takes so long because there's so many things that that you need to have done before you reach this level, right? So, but you you already had all those certifications. So it made it a little easier and a little faster.
0: Yeah, I was already a CSP. I I was lucky because when I got my CSM, the next stage up being a CSP did not require any class. There was not a A A-level class like there is now. And basically the requirements at that time were that you had been doing this I think for two years you had been a scrum master for two years and there were some other things you had to prove but it was basically a submission you submit your materials and they approved you or didn't approve you so basically I I had been a scrum master for five years before I got my CSM I just thought "Uh, what do I need a certification for I'm just doing the work and when I finally got it You know, I remember the trainer there said, hey, you know, you might be able to just go ahead and submit because you've been doing this for a long enough time. And uh, so I took a look at it after I got home and thought, I think it was like a $250 submission or something. And I thought, yeah, it's worth it. You know, I'll I'll submit it and uh, see where it goes. So, yeah, by the time that I had reached that and I got to that point, it it was sort of like, yeah, I think this is the right thing to do. So so a little difference there in our, our stories with that portion of it. We can't fully get away from talking about the requirements because I think that's part of the journey. So just so everyone here understands, there's sort of two halves to your submission as a CST. There is a materials phase and there's a, a TAC phase, a, a trainer approval committee phase. The longest for me was the first, was the the materials phase, because there's a, a ton of materials that you have to get together, including your own course, you have to, you know, use their learning objectives and, and produce your own course and get that approved. So there's a lot that goes into that. And one of the things that I know is a big hurdle for people who want to, to do this is the Scrum Alliance really wants you to co-train with other CSTs. They want you to, to go into their class. They want you to train. I think it's the, the, the suggested number is 10. That is 10 that you train at least half the class. Which, you know, when you hear that, you think, Oh, that doesn't sound that bad. Well, it's a two-day class. And and you know, getting someone to trust you with half of their class, a whole day, is is not something you can't just go to someone and say, Hey, can I teach whole day of your class tomorrow? You gotta it's a relationship. You have to build that up. Exactly. So, so it was interesting to hear your story because with a new being a mentor for you. I'm sure that opened some doors. Did did she help you introduce you to others? Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know that I would have become a CST and I told her this and she doesn't agree with it, but I don't know that I would have become a CST already if it wasn't for her. Not only because of her mentorship, but also because she did introduce me to so many people. So I was able to, to co-train with, with some great trainers. She ran a, uh, well, we kind of still do it, She a, a group, a mentoring group of everyone you know of a lot of people who wanted to become csts and she just helped us out a, t- a ton with that but yeah i mean if it wasn't for her i don't know especially after the pandemic i don't know how i would have been able to to meet these people and, and have these relationships and be able to co-train with them so so that definitely helped a lot of course there were a couple of trainers that i knew already from global scrum, scrum gatherings and stuff like that but the majority of them definitely were because of her
0: That's awesome. Yeah. It seems like the, that, that, having that, that mentor kind of person is just, you know, completely vital. I know that was from in my case as well. For me, it was David Hawks. David was really one of the first people that, that started to connect me and and get me connections with other trainers. Uh, he would send emails to people and say, Hey, you know, this, this, this guy is okay. That went miles for, developing trust with other trainers because they they knew David, they didn't know me, and his seal of approval kind of opened that door. So I try to keep that in mind, you know, uh, as a CST now, because I know, you know, I want to be that for others as well. I want to be that person. It's tough. And and I just, you know, I want to warn people about this because this, like I said, co-training and building a mentor relationship, it's kind of like dating, right? Because you would be surprised the number of people who contact you as a CST out of the blue that you've never spoken with before and ask you to either be their mentor or allow you to co-train in their class or in your class. And it's like saying, would you move in with me? I've never met you, but could, could we move in together? It's just you wouldn't do that, right? You have to get to know them.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a relationship building. Phase right that you have to have. I mean, with the the majority of the trainers that I didn't know at first, I had to co train with them three four times, right, in order to be able to do fifty percent of the class and get a recommendation letter, which is another requirement that you have. But I mean, it makes complete sense, right? They don't know your style of training, they don't know what type of person you are. So first thing they want you to do is just observe their class, right, to make sure that you're okay with their materials and all of that. And and a lot of times, most of the people that I co trained with, you know, they would you know, throw me a few questions here and there. And you did this with me as well, even when I was a TA in your class, you know, that I could maybe do a little bit of the teaching or just answer a couple of questions, which was great. You know, and that's the way that they get to feel, you know, if you have the right knowledge, if you're able to handle a class. And then the second time around, it's like, okay, you can teach two things, you know, right. in this class, <laughs> you know, so two minute things. And then after that, it's like, okay, you can teach, you know, maybe 25% of the class. And then finally you go ahead and you teach half the class and I've gotten to teach 100% of a class as well with a, with a couple of people. But, but as you said before, there's something that takes time. So when we talk about having to do, I mean, out of the 10 trainings, only five have to be with other co-trainers. You can do some of them yourself, not a certified class, of course. But when you think about five having to be with other trainers, it doesn't mean that it's only five classes, right? Those five will turn out to be 20 classes because of how many times you have to meet with them in order to be able to make it a what we call a qualifying event, which is teaching at least 50% of the class.
0: Yeah, I, I remember that the pattern for me was I would contact one and say, hey, I'm, I'm pursuing this. I'd love to connect with you. I'm not asking to co-train. Uh, what I'd love to do is come in and observe your class. Can I observe it and help out in any way that you want? And that was kind of my foot in the door. If I could get in and observe, then I have two days with that person and then, then we can chat and talk and they could get to know me and I can get to know them. Then they, they feel like, you know what, come back and I'm doing another one. Come back and we'll have you do something. Just like you said, one small little bit and, and then it builds up. So it was, it was usually about four to five in a series for me with anyone before. Understand as well, just I want to make sure everyone hears this. Co-trainings are just part of it, right? There's a lot of other things that you're you're required to submit. And one of those things is letters of recommendation. So this is why I say it's like a four to five class progression with any CST that you work with because you're aiming for the recommendation, not just the co-trainings. If you don't get it, right, if you don't get a recommendation, that's going to be something that they ask you about when you submit. Why didn't this person recommend you? They'll reach out to them and say, "Hey, we noticed that they co-train with you, but they didn't get a recommendation. Did they just not ask for it?" So, yeah, you can't hide that. You have to address it in your submission and everything else. So, yeah, it's about a four to five class progression. At least it was for me.
1: Yeah. No, it was. Yeah, it was the same for me as well. I mean. I don't even know how many times I trained with Anu, to tell you the truth, probably 10, 15 times, like different classes, you know, with different clients and all that, uh, which is so it was like even a lot more than that. But the one thing that I would say as advice to whoever is listening to this, and they feel that this is their passion, and they want to they want to do this is as you're working with the CSTs, or as you're co training with them, really take what they say to you to heart, any feedback they give you, because the next time that you co train with them, they want to see that you took those learnings and you applied it to, to how you're training. Like there was one, one person I was training with, I was going through a really bad time in my life when, when I did one of the trainings with them and uh, that was supposed to be my last training. And I just, I wasn't me a hundred percent. And they gave, gave me the feedback and said, you know, I think we need to do this again. So I really brought it next time. So really make sure that you're, you're paying attention to what they're saying. They're trying to help you. The majority of these people are not doing this to, to make sure that you don't succeed, right? They, the majority of these people do want you to succeed. So take whatever they tell you to heart, because that's the only way you're going to grow. Even CSGs who have been CSGs for a decade. They're not perfect. So every, everybody's trying to improve and they want to make sure that you're doing the same.
0: Yeah, it's funny. As I did that, as I, as I met, you know, we, we both have someone who who kind of started it and opened the doors for us. But I'm sure you can say the same thing. I had several really strong mentoring relationships that I developed in doing this. And each one gave me a different perspective and a different felt like a different superpower that I I, I gained from them just in seeing how they did things. So looking forward before I did it, it was a pain. And I was thinking, gosh, I hate this. I don't want to do this. Looking back after I finished it, I'm so thankful for it because yes. I would not at all be the trainer I am today if it weren't for, you know, David Hawks and, and Kurt Peterson and and Lance Dacey. There's multiple people out there. And I hate to listen off names because I'm going to leave someone out and they're going to be mad.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing.
0: <laughs> I've had just about everybody on who on the podcast who were, who mentored me through this and really, really. Appreciate the time and energy well beyond just the class. You know, just touching base with me, looking at my materials before the class, making sure that everything was in line, giving me pointers, all that stuff. Just you would not imagine the number of hours that. Uh, and they're not getting paid for it, right? It's it's a free thing.
1: It's all volunteering. Yep.
0: Well, I should say they're getting paid in the class. Uh, so let's, but, let's right, but right. but not
1: not to help you through your journey.
0: Right. Just to be clear with everyone on that as well, right? Do not in any way think that you're going to get paid when you co-train because it's a favor to you. You know, there's an expense in doing this. I'll tell you, this is one of the things I wanted to compare a little bit because I imagine this the expense has dropped. I'll kind of run it by you and see what you think. So prior to COVID, when I was trying to, to become a CST, you only could teach classes in person. So the way that you tried to find other CSTs a lot of times was just to see who's coming in. A radius of where you were. Uh, that's at least how I approached it because I'm in Dallas and and here I could drive to Austin or, or Houston or San Antonio, right? I could drive to other cities in Texas and pick up a class here and there. But just imagine that, right? That, that means I took time off of work and that means that I had travel cost of getting to wherever it was I've, I was going. That means hotels, food, all that stuff of driving back and forth. I, I remember we bought a little car that was a little Prius that we bought right before I started that. And we, call, we jokingly called it the, the CST Mobile because that car drove me all over Texas getting to all these different training events and, and opportunities. So that's why I say I imagine that it was a little bit more expensive then now that you can do it from your home and you can, you know, kind of do it in other places, but still you're having to take time away from your your job and work to do it.
1: Yeah. And for me, and that was the hardest part. Of course, I wasn't traveling everywhere. Of course, before, before the pandemic, when I did some co-trains with Anu, I did travel. So I had some expense then, but with the other ones, no, not really. Right. I mean, yes, the time off work. So that was tough. And, you know, a lot of times I was looking for classes like weekend classes that people were teaching so that I could, you know, get on those, those classes instead of during the, during the week. But yeah, definitely I didn't have those types of uh, expenses that you had because everything was, was online. So it made it a lot easier in the pocketbook, for sure, being able to do that. But the the experience is also different.
0: Sure. Yeah, no, no, absolutely.
1: I also lost a little bit on that as well. Because for me, there's nothing like an in-person class.
0: I would agree. And I still hope that someday that gets back into just the regular rotation. May not be every class, but I'd love to have a regular rotation of of doing in-person classes again. Because you're right. It really was a different experience. I remember learning on my very first one that I went to, when I started it, my opinion was, I'm gonna save every penny. I'm gonna try to do things cheaply because this is all out of pocket and everything. So I remember the first hotel I picked that was near it wasn't the hotel where the thing was gonna be at, but it was near it. And I checked in the night before, went into the room. First of all, it was like dirty outside, looked like it was not in the best part of town. And so I get, get into my room and it was like, I don't want to say it was a flea hotel, but it was close. It was a big <laughs> chain. It was a national chain. But when I walked in, it was one of these. I don't know if anyone else has ever had this, but I was afraid to sleep in the bed. So I grabbed like the towel from the bath and laid it over the bed just in case, you know? <laughs> so at that point, I was like, okay, there's a minimum standard, right? I'm going to spend some money. That's just the way it is, but I'm not going to do this again. So yeah, so that, that kind of makes things a little bit different. But I imagine there's other challenges too with a virtual kind of environment that I didn't have to go through. Just even trying to arrange your training and, and, and develop it. It's a challenge that I know all the other C- CSTs went through trying to convert from in person to virtual. So how was that? Just you talking through the exercise. Did you struggle with coming up with virtual exercises versus in person?
1: So, I already had some virtual exercise because I had been working for companies that the people in my teams were all over the world, so I was working remotely and 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 a lot of my stuff was virtual already. But when it comes to talking about the content of the class and working with somebody else, everything was very asynchronous. I'll send you my materials, you take a look at it, you tell me what you know so it wasn't really a conversation like you would have if you were doing that in person. So it definitely makes it more difficult to be able to synchronize one with, with, with another, what it is that we're trying to do. And, and yeah, I mean, I think the in-person activities are a lot more fun. So I have done my, my CSM class for a non-certified class in person quite a few times and, and seeing the amount of fun that people are having with the activities in person, you know, is it's definitely a different experience. And, and and the thing is in an online class, a virtual class, you have your activities, you you know, you do your training, but when you're on a break, you're on a break by yourself. Whereas when you're in person, you're on a break, but everybody's having lunch together, everybody's, you know, getting a snack together, you know, people are having conversations with the trainers and that just doesn't happen in that virtual setting. So I think that even the the students lose out when we're doing things virtually because you don't have that added added relationship, the added conversations that you would have in person, which is sad. So so I love when I get the opportunity to do classes in person.
0: Yeah, I agree. And like I said, I I hope someday that that it's more regular. I, I don't think it would ever go back to being required to be in person. I just don't see that genie ever going back in the bottle. But at Mountain Goat, we get more and more requests from private companies to come and train their group in person. And And I appreciate that. I I love being in the same space. And uh, I remember the first one I did, it just felt like, wow, I I haven't stretched these muscles in so long Do I I still remember how to do it. You know, that kind of thing. (laughs) And now just a brief pause as we tell you about the sponsor for this podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Mountain Goat Software's Advanced Certified Product Owner Course. This advanced class teaches you the skills you need to increase your confidence, credibility, and value as a product owner. You get lifetime access to the course materials. Plus, this is the only ACSPO that uses our interactive software so that breakout exercises are valuable and fun. You'll also be automatically enrolled in Mike Cohn's exclusive membership site, Agile Mentors Community, including 12 months of ongoing coaching and support. And now back to the show. The process, just so everyone kind of understands, the process can take you several years. till you're ready to submit that first packet of materials and you feel like you've reached an accomplishment that you've gotten it together and you probably have talked to your mentors and other people about it and, and crossed everything off the list. You feel like you have everything ready and you submit it and you pay your fee and then you wait. You have to wait for it to come up in their trainer approval committees kind of queue because these are volunteers as well who work on that committee. And they read through, I can't even imagine how many submissions uh, of people. So they have to look through the materials, they have to dig through, they have to give it a really you know long, hard look to see if they think this person is ready. And I don't know what your experience was, I can tell you, my first one failed, I got it rejected and got it sent back and was dejected and thought, Oh, my gosh, am I doing the right thing? And should I just give this up? And I'm sure that's what everyone thinks in any rejection. But I remember feeling all those those feelings. What was yours like? Did yours go straight through?
1: I wouldn't say that it went straight. Through, okay. <laughs> but, but I think things have changed a little bit, uh, I think, since you submitted your application. So there are two phases now after you submit your application. There is the phase where a Scrum Alliance person looks through your application. And if there are things that they feel are missing or you're not, you know, you didn't really talk about it the way that it is in the current Scrum guide or something, they'll get back to you and say, you need to fix this and this and this, or if there's problems in your application, we need more information on this question. Can you elaborate? Like they'll get back to you before it even gets to the tech. So so I think that that makes things easier. So I, I did get, you know, I did have that happen to me twice uh, where they said, oh, you need to change this and that, but it didn't get rejected, right? So I was able to to fix all the stuff that I needed to fix and send it back through. And the Scrum Alliance person looked it over and said, okay, at the preliminary uh review is done, so let's go ahead and send it to the TAC. So hopefully by the time it gets to attack, if if the things that you had in there weren't too bad, right? I'm not saying that they're not gonna reject any. But if the things were easy to fix and things that they were like, oh, okay, maybe you know they just missed it and they need they need to fix this, it'll probably go to the TAC. But then yeah, when it gets there they you know they take a fine tooth comb and, and go through all your materials, your mapping document, which is something else that you have to do when you're submitting to become a CST is how are you mapping your materials to the learning objectives. So they're going to go through that, all the materials you submit, you're either going to get invited to go before the tech, that's where you have your interview, and you have to do a 20 minute simulation of a class, or you're going to get deferred. So it's a little different than your experience. I'm, I'm glad they did that, though, because I think it helps the individuals who are trying to apply.
0: I think they had just started that because I do remember that stage, but it, it was a very cursory stage. It was basically what I remember it being is there was a Scrum Alliance employee that would check and make sure that you had submitted everything that was needed. It wasn't in any way judging the content. It was just saying, you need recommendations. Do you have the recommendations? Yes, here they are. Check. And if you had all the things that were on the checklist, then they said, all right, it's going to the tech. So yeah, my mine went to the TAC and came back. And little advice for anyone who gets this far and you do submit, if you do get a a rejection, if you do get feedback from the TAC, I'll phrase this in a family-friendly way. But our friend Chris Lee, who's been on the podcast here, I remember hearing him give some advice to someone about this. And his advice was, whatever the TAC tells you to do, just go do that. There's no alternative way. There's no other way around it. And listen to them because they you may not fully agree. You may think, yeah, but, but there's no alternative. I mean, you, I think there is an appeals process or something, but you're so much better just to say, I'm going to listen. I'm going to learn. If you think I need to do something else, I'm going to go do it. When you resubmit, cover whatever they, they said to you in spades. Just really, I remember doing that when I resubmitted mine to say, here's the feedback I got. Bam, bam, bam. Here's all the things I did to try to address the things you thought were not perfect. So, yeah, I don't give up, right? Don't give up if that happens. And when you finally do make that through, the good part of that feeling for me was I knew that once that's checked off, it's never unchecked. I don't have to worry about it again. Once you pass the materials, you just have the TAC interview that's left and you may not make it past it, but if you go again, it's just to that last step. You don't have to do the other portions. So... Let's talk about that. I know ours may be a little different as well because this has changed over the past few years uh, a lot because I I know when I went prior to COVID, it was all in person. There was two conferences a year that you had a chance to go do this at. And when COVID hit, I know they started to do virtual ones and I think they may be wrong, but I think they still occasionally do virtual, but they're trying to do more in person. Yours was in person, right?
1: Mine was in person. So in the last two years, they only had in person. Uh, but yeah, before that, they were having various virtual ones. Uh, so I never had to go through, through, through that experience of doing it virtually. I can't even imagine what that would have been like. Probably a lot harder than, in, than in person, to be honest. But yeah, they were doing that. But I know that now Scrum Alliance did send out an email a few, a few months ago, I think, saying that they're going to go to only having one, uh, global Scrum gathering a year instead of two. So they're probably going to change the way that they are doing the TAC. Uh, and I don't, I don't think they know yet whether it's going to be virtual or it's going to be at regional gatherings or how that's going to work out. Or maybe there's, it's going to be a hybrid, right? We have some in person. If you go to that, the global scrum gathering that year and then maybe have some virtual tech. So, uh, so who knows? But yeah, no, I, I had it in person. Thankfully, Mm -hmm. although it was as, as, as you know, Very nerve wracking uh, being in front of all those people.
0: Yeah, no, no, it completely is. And I, like you said, I can't imagine having done it in front of a a camera. And I know there are people that did and made it through since then doing that. So I just applaud them for doing that. So everyone here kind of understands and knows what that's like. It's like a college dissertation, uh, you know, like a doctoral dissertation almost because you're going in front of them. They're going to ask you questions for about, I think it's like 20 minutes 20 minutes. Yep, They can ask you anything and they want to see how you respond and how you answer. And I want to see if they throw you with anything. And uh, you know, if you really you're in the right place for doing this kind of thing. And then you got to, I think it's another 20 minutes that you have to give a presentation on a topic that they give you right on the spot. So you've got to know all your stuff. You got to have that ready to go. And I remember when I, passed the materials and was getting ready, it, I, w- I remember telling myself, hey, I don't want to do this twice. So I'm, I'm working every night. Every night uh, I, I had a study group. We got together. We practiced together. Uh, you know, We gave each other tips. And there were about four or five of us that were in that group uh, that, that did it just as much as we could. And we'd spin the wheel, find whatever the topic was, and we, we'd try that and, and see how it went. Hugely helpful. I, there's no way I would have passed without doing that. I don't know that I m- maybe needed to do it as much as I did, but uh, it, it definitely, that boot camp kind of environment, I felt like really gave me a leg up by the time I got in front of them. Because something's going to happen you don't expect. It's just, that's the way it is. You, you can plan and plan.
1: And that's how it was for me. So, you know, I, I was told that because I don't know how it was for you. I'd, I think that before what they used to say, they they just... Gave you a topic, right? And you had to teach on that topic. Now it's tied to the learning objectives. So in preparation, I went through every single learning objective and uh, kind of figured out, you know, using TBR training from the back of the room, the, the four C's, right, for each one of them. And I was under the impression that there were a couple, of four different um, learning objectives that would never have been picked, which was perform daily scrum, perform sprint planning, you know, the ones that were to perform an event. So I never prepared for those. But anyway, all the other ones, I did prepare the four C's, did it a million times, did a couple of mock tacks, you know, as well. I did not as many as you did, but, you know, with my mentor, we did some mock tacks and that definitely helped. And then, of course, I get to the tech and they asked me to to do the one of the four learning objectives that I thought I would never have been asked. And I just had to think on my feet and come up with, with something to do, right? So, and the reason I'm saying this is, yes, you n- you need to, to prepare. You need to know every single learning objective. You need to be able to go about it the way that the Scrum Guide tells you to go about it. So, so be very mindful of that. And I know a lot of other people that did something similar to you, Brian, who were very successful as well. I'm a little different as a person that I, I kind of need to do things on my own. And, yeah, a couple of times uh, do something else. but regardless how, how much you prepare, how much you do before, you never know what's going to happen in the tech. And of course, I got the, the you know, one of the things that I never prepared for never looked at, and I was still successful, right. So so sometimes, you know, the lack of preparation is helpful. And then I'm not telling anybody to not prepare. That's not what I'm saying <laughs> at all. But I'm just saying that, you know, regardless how much you prepare, there's still going to be that, that surprise, right, that sense of surprise when, when you're there. You know, nerves are going to get in the way. You know, you, you may forget everything that you did before. So just be prepared to, to you know, think on your feet and 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 not follow the plan because sometimes your plan's not going to work out. So be ready to to be agile when you're in the tack and uh, you know and do whatever comes to mind. Then,
0: well, I would say I would argue that they're actually looking for that. Right? They want to see what you do when something goes not according to plan. If they feel like everything was going according to plan, they might try to throw something at you that that would make it not going according to plan, right? I remember on mine, I had two really big things that threw me off. One was I had a minor medical thing that happened the week during it, and I ended up spending the night in the hospital the night before my TAC. Mine was in Austin, and I live in Dallas. So I was here in Dallas in the hospital the night before my TAC. And I had been in contact with them saying, I don't think I'm going to make it. I, I, I just don't see a way. And they said, well, we'll keep your slot because, you know, it's going to be hard to schedule otherwise. So I, I remember waking up in the hospital that night and the doctor saying, you know what? I know you have this big thing and I'm clearing you. I think you're fine. You're, you're okay to go. So, you know, if the doctor gave me the pass. I was, I was like, I'm going to go because I've been preparing so long. So I I got on a plane, flew down there because that's the only way I would have made it in time, got in there. And uh, my big thing during it, the the questions went fine. Uh, The topic was a topic I I knew because they at the time we had 17, I think it was 17 topics. And they told you it was going to be one of these 17. So I had charts and, and a plan of attack for all 17 that I knew exactly, was I had memorized different little acronyms and things to try to help me memorize the key learning objectives for each topic. I got my topic, felt good about it, drew my my chart, started to teach, and realized it was kind of a two by two grid that I had drawn. And I realized I had drawn the graph wrong. I had flipped two of the, the boxes on it. And I had just started to talk through it when I noticed it. And I just stopped where I was, I ripped the page off and I said, you know what? I don't even want you to look at that because that was, I, I, I made a small mistake on it. Let me draw it for you again because let me let me show you what it is. And I just drew it live as I was doing it and it was fine. But when I tore it off, the markers were all on the bottom and they they all flew across the room. Like there was just a, oh my gosh. <laughs> they flew everywhere. And when that happened, I was like, oh, that's it. There, I'm not going to get it because uh, I, I got that chart wrong but they told me that that they actually liked what I did because I didn't just fold, right? I didn't just go, oh, can I start again? I didn't do anything like that. I just, I I continued on and I I drew it and taught it and it it worked. So yeah, something's going to go wrong.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and just so the listeners here know, after you do your simulation, you're done with your 20 minutes, they ask you to step away and they're going to discuss how you did. So when I came back in, after they had told me that I made it, you know, I was told, you know, the way that you taught this learning objective is not at all what we expected. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe you passed me, right? But (laughs) but what I got is you did such a good job training, like you're the way that you came across that, you know, it it didn't matter that it wasn't what they expected. I still, they had, you know, sorry for saying that they they said I had balls for, (laughs) for the way that I presented the topic. So don't be afraid to make a mistake either, right? Because one of the things that you're going to have a chance to do is a retrospective about how you did during your interview and during your simulation. And that counts too. So it's not going to be perfect. Nobody's expecting you to be perfect. So don't be afraid to, once again, not follow that plan. Be authentic, be yourself, be self-aware, right? Know what you did wrong and and make sure that you're transparent about it when you have that conversation with them. And I think sometimes that's, that's truly what's important.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. I love that. It's a long journey. There's a lot of parts to it. There's a lot of opportunity for you to have heartbreak and question whether this is the right thing for you and everything else. I think you and I are extremely fortunate because our, we went from the TAC once and we got it and we were done. I had friends that were in that study group with me that took multiple times. In fact, there were, there were five of us in that group. And out of the five of us, I was the only one who made it through on the first one, round. There were some that took three, four times in front of the the tack before they got it. And I remember talking to some of those friends and saying, you're so close. Don't give up. You know, like you've come this far. The path in front of you is so much shorter than the path behind you, you know? So yeah, there's going to be disappointment. There's going to be lots of opportunities to think maybe this isn't for me. And if you choose that, then that's fine as well. You know, it's fine to say, yeah, I, I found out it's not for me. But yeah, I, you know, if you've come that far and, you, and you've been doing it that long, you're eventually gonna get it, right? Waiting another six months for another conference is just not not gonna de- derail me, you know. Like I'm, I'm gonna keep at it if that's the case.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I was gonna mention that as well, right? I mean, you and I, I think, were the exception. Uh, well, I mean, there were there are many others that have made it the first try. It's not just Brian and myself, of right. course. Um, but the majority of people do take a couple of tries. So. Um, you know, if you want to go through this, if you want to become a CST, that's your passion to become a CST and help certify people and change people's lives through training. Just because you don't go through the first time, it doesn't mean that you're not a good trainer. You just didn't show what they expected to see. And and remember, it's it's people. You know, looking at what it is that you're doing and different tack, different day might be a completely different story, right? So it is very subjective. So. Uh, don't take it personally. Don't don't think that you're not a good trainer just because you don't go through the first time. That's actually the norm that most people don't go through the first time from what I've heard. And it's just uh, just an opportunity for you to become an even better training from the feedback that you're getting from them. You know, of course, it's very easy for me to say because I went through the first <laughs> time. So a lot of people right. are thinking, sure, you went through the first time, you have no idea what you're talking about. Anyway, I know that if I hadn't gone through, I'd be hurt, but I was prepared to not go through. Right. I mean I was I was prepared that I was not gonna pass. I was hoping that I would. I was prepared not to, but for me it's always it's it's just a learning opportunity. Right. If I didn't make it, I knew that there was something that I had to become better at. Um and I would be better next time. So so just just remember that. Um if things happen to you and you don't make it and you know, and, and of course I feel horrible for people that don't make it, but it is gonna make you a much better train trainer in the end. Right? There's something that they wanted to see that they didn't.
0: Yeah, and I think I think what you're saying here is so key and I hope people get this. There's a phrase they use for this that, that you'll hear people say often talking about this process and they call it your CST journey. And I think that's a great phrase because it is, it's a journey. And I love what you said about the fact that you expected this, right? You, you went into it thinking, hey, if it happens, it's not gonna be a problem because that's what's typical so I'm I'm ready to accept it. I think the people that have the most problems are the people who go on feeling a little more entitled just think, hey, I've done all, everything I need to. You need to approve me. I deserve this recognition. I think that's when you have a problem. If you go into it thinking, this is another step in that journey. This is another step where I'm growing and learning. And whether it's them saying you're through or whether it's them saying come back in six months or come back in a year or whatever it is, it's another opportunity to learn. And if that's what's important to you, it won't destroy you, right? It'll just be, okay, well, I'll try again, I'll do it again.
1: And, And the other thing too, to remember is, why is it that a lot of us wanted to become CSTs, right? If it was something that anybody could do, would it really be something that a lot of people would wanna be? I mean, you know, for me, and I'm not saying that I am this, but for me, CSTs are kind of the elite of trainers. Well, you know, for Scrum Alliance. And of course, I'm a Scrum Alliance advocate. I know there's other organizations out there. But, you know, for me, you know, there's a reason why there's so much stuff that we need to do to become a CST, right? Because they want to make sure that the people who are CSTs are the best of the best. So if you were something that were very easy to achieve, it probably wouldn't be worth it, something as desired (laughs) as as, as it is, right, right, right now. Yeah, we're worth it, as you're saying. So, so as Brian and I are are saying, you know, if if you if you don't make it, it's like, you're you're so close, right? I mean, if you made it that far, you are so close. It's just a matter of you. Maybe it's you the next day, or a week from now or a month from now. But it's just a little bit more improvement. And, uh, and all of us, I think, as agilists, right, the one thing that we we focus on is continuous improvement and, and think about this as continuously improving yourself. And and just because Brian and I are CSTs and of course Brian has been doing this for a few years longer than than I have, it also doesn't mean that we're perfect. You know, Brian and I still have a lot to learn. Mike Cohn, who owns Fountain Goat, I mean he's been a trainer for forever. And I'm sure he also doesn't feel like he's perfect. And that there's still things that we can get better at. So it's just another 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 choice or another chance, right, to continuously improve as a person, as an agilist, and as a trainer.
0: I agree so so strongly. Hard things, things that are hard to do, that just makes it all the better when you achieve them. Uh, you can, I'm sure, anybody here listening can think about that in your life. Anything that was hard for you to achieve and you put in a lot of effort to do it, uh, it's so sweet when you actually cross that finish line. And I think the same thing is, is true for this. You know, it was, it was hard to achieve, but I remember, and I still feel like completely worth it, completely worth the effort. For sure. For
1: sure. Yeah. All the, all the late nights, all the numerous hours, you know, co-training. And one more thing that I'll say, um, Brian, sorry, is uh, if you're really passionate about this, it really shouldn't matter how long it takes. As I, as I said, it took me six years to get here and it's, you know, it's a goal that I've always had and, and, I'm a mindset coach as well on the side, you know, and for me, it's really working towards your goals. Even if it's 30 minutes a day, that's what's going to make you a winner, if you will, right? It's it's not the, it's not becoming a CST. It's, it's what you're learning during your journey and how much better you're getting throughout your journey, right? That's, that's what really, really matters. Um, so just, just, just think about this, right? So I just wanted to leave, you know, leave that out there as well.
0: And that's a great way to leave it. Lucy, thanks so much for coming on again. I really appreciate you being here.
1: Yeah, of course, my pleasure.
0: And congratulations again on getting your CST. Thank
1: you so much, Brian.
0: Well, once again, a huge thanks to my friend, Lucy O'Keefe for being on. Just so proud of the way she handled this journey and always so happy to see someone who's crossed that finish line. I have known multiple people who've gone through this and I I know multiple people right now who are still in the process of going through this and it's so funny having having been through it your heart just is so full for those people you, you want them to to experience the same thing and you're in their corner you just want to cheer them on and, and do whatever you can do so once again really really happy for lucy and if she listens to this ending congratulations again lucy if this is a topic that interests you uh, if you want to ask any questions about this a uh, couple of things you can do one join our discussion at the Agile Mentors Community. That's our member site at Mountain Goat Software. And if you take any class with us, you get 12 months membership there in the Agile Mentors Community. We have a post about every single podcast episode. So this is an episode that you wanna ask questions about or you wanna connect about, then you can look that up and post your questions there. I'll respond to them. Lucy can even respond to things there because she's part of our Agile Mentors Community as well. Join us there and uh, be a part of our Q&A calls that we have monthly. Uh, There's lots of benefits there being part of the Agile Mentors community. You can also send me an email, podcast at mountaingoatsoftware.com. That'll come to me. And uh, I'd love to hear your feedback. I'd love to hear your questions. I'll try to help you in any way I can. So uh, yeah, send me an email. I'd love to hear from people. Um, We've got several episodes in the queue that have been suggestions that have come from you. I know we're getting toward the end of the year here. And uh, it's just speeding by and we're going to be done here before you know it. So as always, like us, subscribe to us. As the new year kicks off, you're going to want to have some of this information. We're going to have lots of good guests and topics that we have queued and ready to go for you. So, you know, make sure you don't miss those. We're trying to schedule things appropriately so we we get you the the good stuff on days we we think that you're really going to be able to listen to it. So uh, that's one of the reasons why we have some planned kind of downtime right around Christmas, but then we'll kick things back off in the new year and have, uh, have you up and running with a lot of good information going into 2024. I think that's it for this week. Hope everyone's having a great week. We'll see you next time on another episode of the Agile Mentors Podcast.